a psalm that speaks about the gods of, of the nations, what they really are. They stand high, I'll say that. They stand high in the estimation of those who worship them. However, that's not by the gods choosing, that's by design, design of the people. They are made to look impressive, but they're only figments of the imagination at, at best. They're there for man to convince himself that if he praises the God of his imagination and superstition as one who is highly exalted, then he does a good thing for his God and his God will be happy. But there's an ulterior motive. He hopes that the distance he allows will make his God less involved in his life so that man might be freer to do his own will, to do evil. Even, and we heard that this morning too, even Adam and Eve longed for distance when they realized they had sinned. But our God is not a figment of the imagination. Be safer to say that we are a figment of the imagination. Our God is real. He's the creator of all things. It is his determination that we are who we are as mankind. In his determination to create us, he also determined to communicate with us. Yes, communication from our God comes from him. He said that he would be our father and we should be his children. Yes, there is a great intimacy between God and man. God and his children, and it is unique. You can only say that he has that relationship. And that's what we need to know this afternoon, congregation, as we look at, at our text of this afternoon. When we say, it is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. Yes, to make that distinction between God and the gods. Well, the gods can be anything we want them to be. And we can make them powerful, we can make them be terrible gods who exact vengeance on those who do not obey his laws. But should we not rather speak about the true God, the God who is a God of love. As we heard this morning, I have loved you, he said to his people Israel. But now this afternoon we want to refine that a little bit and come closer to uh, what needs to be said in connection with what we heard God say to his people. They have questioned him in their lifestyle. How have you loved us? And now to look at why, why 
people, uh, the people of God have come to that point in their life, to saying that. Why do they question him? And, and we want to look, therefore, at the teaching model in the church of all ages of those who are given the task to bring the message of God to the people because that's where the trouble truly starts. My people die for lack of knowledge, God has heard to say elsewhere in Scripture. The people don't understand. And why? We look at the, priest, the priesthood. I proclaim to you this afternoon the word of our Lord as we find that with our text under the following theme and heads. Blemished sacrifices. The Lord challenges the lack of love shown to him by the office of the priesthood. We'll first of all look at the outline of their task. Second, pointing to their guilt. And third, declaring judgment over them, outlining their tasks. As we said this morning, there's, we have a God who, who truly loves us, who makes distinctions between his church and the world, between Jacob and Esau, saying who he loves and who he hates. We know how that is. For scripture has clearly pointed that out all along the way, coming right to this, the last book of the Old Testament. It's all much the same, because we're dealing with the same God and we're dealing with the same kind of people. That when we see times when there is a renaissance of, of service to God for so much of their history, it is complaining about God. And that is so easily done not just to outright complain about him, but to take him lightly. To take him lightly is to complain about God as well. And how often don't we do that? And so what is important for us to understand is that God has given us direction. He has given us a message that we are to adhere to Two Sundays ago I spoke about the law, how important the law is, that we need to see the law as a precious gift of God so that we can establish good relationships between ourselves and God and between ourselves and our neighbor. And there's, and I, I said then already uh, that any passage that is a teaching passage is a, such a law, and we can say that here too this afternoon about uh, what God wants and what God wants is, we can say, his law. And what he wants with Israel is true worship. He's picked them out and set them aside through thick and thin so that he might teach them, that he might have a church. So that when the time, the fullness of time should come, Jesus Christ could be sent, and come and dwell with us, there might be that church that is there for him. And we know how, how little of that there really was, but nevertheless, God doesn't promise hordes of people. 
in gathering his church, and yet he does collect them from all times and places. Through his word and spirit, over against all opposition, he does collect them to himself. He calls them his, his children. God comes with a complaint once again. I have loved you. But now how do you show that? How do you show, reciprocate in showing your love for me? Does it not show itself by honoring as children honor father and mother? A son honors his father and a servant his master, God has heard to say. That's the norm. That's how it is when there is that relationship of God's establishment with his people. He is so great in what he has done that he, he needs to be acknowledged. We cannot just bypass that and, and try to live on our own because it's not a matter of now that we've heard it, we're okay, you can leave us alone, God. No, now we live for him and live with him. And he dwells among us and he wants to be recognized. We need to honor him as we would our father and our mother. Where is the honor? Do me. If I am a master, where is the respect? Do me, says the Lord Almighty. Scripture shows time and again that such a relationship existed and had to be acknowledged. We see it in Deuteronomy, way back in Deuteronomy 32. Is this the way you repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Isaiah writes in chapter 63, but you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us, or Israel acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Though the ancestry doesn't know it, because they're dead. But God has continued on. He's faithful to his promises to those who have gone before. O Lord, you are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. And verse 8 of the following chapter, Isaiah 64, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all work of your hand. So God has created something that is beautiful or meant to be, and that is us. And who are we? As that which has been created, which was nothing more but clay before now, is a beautiful thing that we should not honor the one who made us, who formed us, which is God. Yes, brothers and sisters, that's how important it is. Then the question is legitimate, is it not? If I am your father, where is the honor due to me? Where is the respect due to me? But then we move into the specifics. 
To whom is this question at this point, this afternoon, who is it addressed to? And then we have to remember that Israel as such lives still in the shadows. Later on, the office of prophet, priest, and king would be restored through Jesus Christ to each and every man, through, the accomplished, through his accomplished work. For well, we've learned the catechism too, what, is, what does it mean that he is the Christ? That he is our prophet, priest, and king. And then what does it mean we are Christians? That we're also prophet, priest, and king in turn. But at this point in time, as we said, we live in the shadows. We live in a time that is not yet full. And so we see these offices in, in different people, not all three together although you might understand it as, as such, but in a very limited way, as for the most part, these offices are separate. And there's the, the house of Levi, and there's Aaron and his sons, who are of the priesthood. And they were given the task, even so they were given the task as, as those who remained faithful to God at Mount Sinai when all the people sinned with the golden calf incident, who were there for the Lord, and God has blessed them as such, given them a, a high position among Israel as teachers of the people, because they knew what the Word of God said, and they were also given the task to, to proclaim that Word. So as such, a special office for the one tribe, for in particular the house of Aaron, as far as the priesthood was concerned. It's with them that the Lord has his complaint. For looking at Malachi, looking at that period of time after the exile, things have gone bad again. Then the place we have to look as to why that is so is with the priesthood. It is you, O priests, God says, who show contempt for my name. And what does that mean? It means if they show contempt, they, the ones who are, are meant to teach the people, to give the guidance to the people, what are we to expect from the people themselves? Well, we heard that this morning. I've loved you. How have you loved you? See, they don't know. Why don't they know? This is where the office of the priesthood comes in. What is the task of the priests? They were, they were meant to be that, the mediators between God and the people. The people brought the sacrifices, they brought it to the priests, the priests offered it up to the Lord. And in turn, they had to make sure that everything was done properly and their lives were, were greatly restricted as to what they could do and couldn't do so they knew what they should be doing. They knew that their task was about holiness, about bringing before the Lord only that which is holy. And what happens when that disappears, when that, the knowledge of the, or the knowledge of that, they may have known, but they became lazy. But the actions proved that they were not there to serve the Lord. They forgot what God had demanded of them. 
It's a great privilege to serve God, but it's also a great responsibility. It's often said also about teaching ministry. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful life to be able to proclaim God's word to God's people. But it's also, as we said, a, a great responsibility. You have to take that word for what it is, not come up with all sorts of inventions of showboating or whatever, of say, or saying what you want to say, what you think the people may need, pointing your finger almost at, at those who are listeners. That can be so easily done and has been done. There have been those fire and brimstone sermons of the past where there, there is this indignation on the part of the one who brings it. But it's almost as if he is without blame who brings it. At least a lot of it was that way. There was a lot of hypocrisy also with the ministers over time. Because we're not here to, to say what we want. We're here to say what God wants. And that is the office also of the ministry today. There is some of that that reflects on bringing the gospel today to God's people. As much as the priests had to be mediators between God and, and us, and it's not that we have the, the ministers as mediators, but they do because Jesus is between God and us. But we do have to bring the message. People depend on it. That what you say is, is right. And what is correct. What is about holiness and about righteousness and about grace and mercy. And so we come to the second point because that's what it comes to pointing out their guilt. Many people are Christians in name only. Think of those who go to church maybe once, twice a year, who perhaps bring a big check with them on one of those occasions. And as such, feel they still go to church. They support it after all. One assumes that in doing so, they convince themselves they're still believers. How many do not go to church once a Sunday when they could go twice? Will they not be convinced as well that they're still believers in service to God that they come the next Sunday morning again? How many go to church twice on Sunday and in doing so convince themselves that they are the real true believers in service to God? How many ministers, elders, deacons holding office will be convinced that they are tr truly doing the work of the Lord in what they do? 
You see, it's not all that difficult to convince oneself that he or she is doing service to the Lord. Imagine then that someone should suggest that what we are doing does not honor God as Father and Master. Indeed, that our actions are show that there is contempt for God. What do you think church splits are about? Why is there such great animosity when, when people come to the day where they say, we can no longer remain here. We have to honor God and not men. What does that leave for those who, are, who stay behind, if not contempt? And we've seen it so often in different places. Because we've left them, we're calling them out in a sense. We're saying... Not so much as persons, but as those who sit under the proclamation of that particular uh, church. We're saying this is not where God wants us. This is not doing what God wants of us. And we have to show more love for God than we do for man. That can so easily happen. And what's behind those who stay, it's, it's that they feel... But we're worshiping God. And perhaps they're even saying to themselves, well, we do all sorts of things all in our society, much more than they do. And, and this, that, and the other, we're so busy doing this, busy doing that. Yeah, but the question was, what about the gospel? What about the word of God? From the pulpits. There are many churches that started off with, with thousands because they heard something of, of Jesus Christ who at a certain point in time said, well, we have, to, we have to change things here a bit. We can't always be preaching. We've got to also act. We've got to go out into the society and, and convince the people by whatever means. And not necessarily preaching the gospel to them, but showing love and fellowship how good brothers and sisters we are. I know of those churches and they're pretty well empty now because the people were not fed with the gospel of salvation. And here are the priests. How have we shown contempt for your name? It's not what we think is right that counts as acceptable to God it's only if we come in the way of righteousness and holiness that we will be able to stand before him the priests in the days of Malachi the influential leaders of the people people's representatives no longer saw that their purpose was to bring a holy and special service to the Lord and so they were seen to neglect to do their task. God says, you, de you place defiled food on my altar. How have we defiled you? Have we not brought that food? Yeah, but it's defiled, God says. It's not given in, in purity, with thoughts of purity. It's just been given, no matter what condition. For them to ask the question is to know that according to their estimation of things, 
they had carried out doing everything according to the ordinance of God, as described by God in Leviticus. They will have thought of themselves, we are doing things correctly. Don't kid yourself, brothers and sisters, when we see churches disintegrate, it's not because they're making conscious choices to do so. They think they're doing service to the Lord, but they're doing it on their own merit. They're doing it according to their own understanding of what God needs to have done instead of listening to what God says. For what does God say in Leviticus to Moses? Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them, If any of you, either an Israelite or an alien living in Israel, presents a gift for a burnt offering to the Lord, either to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering, you must present a male without defect from the cattle, sheep or goats, in order that it may be accepted on our behalf. Do not bring anything with a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, or the maimed, or anything with warts, or festering, or running sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as an offering made to the Lord by fire. And we could say, well, we don't do that anymore. No. We don't bring these animals anymore. Christ has come. He has died for our sins. We don't need these sacrifices, but sacrifice we must. We must bring sacrifices of the heart. And they must be as pure as these animals were called upon to be pure. Remember, it's, it's a foreshadow of what is to come. It's a, it holds truth. Even if it doesn't apply to today, it's still, there is a truth to be found in that. That things are brought to the Lord from our hearts in the way of purity, in the way of holiness. He doesn't want you to rattle off your prayers and not even think what you're saying. He doesn't want your worship if your heart isn't in it. And if you think that's all it is, you're only fooling yourself and you're hurting yourself because you're, you're guarding against the truth coming in to set you free. God wants us to be precise. precise. He wants us to to see things in the way of purity and of holiness. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, speaking about Jesus, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, that's who our Lord Jesus Christ was. And he had to be that. 
He had to be perfect in the sight of God and all of those sacrifices, as much as they were offered, they were offered over and over again because there was never enough. Because there was never perfection. God accepted them. When, it, when people came with, a, with a, a good heart, when people were doing it from the goodness of their heart for God, he accepted that, but he accepted it on the basis of the coming Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect who died for us as a one-time sacrifice to bring that presentable gift to God that he required from all of us. What does God want of us? He wants a, a church that is holy. Paul says in speaking about the church in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, and only Jesus Christ can do that. So it becomes clear, beloved, does it not, why the priests, priests had to be holy and the sacrifice they brought had to be without blemish. Everything pointed to the need for our complete restoration with God how could this be it could be but through Jesus Christ and here they were bringing sacrifices that were blemish when you bring blind animals for sacrifice is that not wrong God has heard to say when you sacrifice crippled and diseased animals is that not wrong yes of course it is it is contempt it is to be contentious. It is to, to, to show disregard for what God wants of us. For they could have known better. Because the law of God really has spoken about this purity and holiness. And they might have known as priests to make sure that they brought things without blemish. That the people could be taught to bring the right sacrifices. That if it might have happened that one brought one animal that was blind, they said, that is not good enough. See, there was teaching there, saying God does not accept, accept the best of what we have to give. That's what he wanted from us. And, and it's still true today, congregation, though they don't bring the sacrifices, yet in our... Christian circle, so to speak, we hear of those evangelists who have come out. Joel Osteen. He's come with blemished sacrifice. And thousands follow him. Yet the sheep follow him. They hang on his lips, so to speak, as to what he has to say. And he's saying, Christ is not everything. You have to make the decisions and if you are determined that this is going to happen and it will happen. Blemish sacrifices. How? Well, he, does, he brings Christ to the people blemished. But he's not the Christ we know. 
And so don't think this is an incident far off in a distant land so many, many centuries ago. No, it's still true today. There are those today who do not bring the full gospel of salvation, in fact, who deny it ultimately, because to take a, any amount away from Jesus Christ as the author of our salvation is to take away the whole of Christ to God's people. And that is contempt. And that's why God points out their guilt. Look what you are doing, priests. You ask why? Why am I angry? It's because of you. Would you offer such things to your premier or to the queen? Some animal festering? No, you wouldn't think of it. You'd make sure it was good. And here's the God of heaven the God of all life, the greatest to be honored and praised. And we do this sort of thing. We bring faulty, blemished sacrifices to God. What is that, brothers and sisters? We think he is far off. So often we think of God as someone for tomorrow. Tomorrow will deal with him. Let me sin today and make it right tomorrow. Because we have enough of a knowledge that he may be there and we'll fix things up later. Who knows if the Lord doesn't call us today. We must always live in truth. We must live to bring sacrifices of thankfulness to the Lord with the whole of our life. Because as we can hear here, God points them out. Those who are guilty of bringing the false message. And he will do that also in the last day. What message did you bring? Oh Lord, we... We talked about you. We talked about you left and right. He says, I, I, won't, I don't know you. Because you didn't, really. You brought what you wanted the people to praise you by. Cursed is the cheat. Who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. There you have it. This is our God. We may delight in him because of the wonderful things he's done, but do not take him lightly. He is a consuming fire. You have to live in right relationship to him. And so we come to the last point, declaring the judgment over against the priests. It never ceases to amaze us how intimate our God is with us. 
He does not leave us alone. Through Egypt and exile, he returns to his people because he is truly our God. But as we have come to see, he is a holy God and judgment lies in his hands. That's why he admonishes the priesthood, those who bring the message of salvation. Do what is right, for judgment stands upon you. If you do not bring the truth, the people are not fed with the word of life. Judgment stands upon you. In congregation, that, that is a strong, strong statement for us to take with us. But shall we not do it with, with delight? To know that our God is such a God of love. Then we approach that love. How to do that? By living, by living for him with the whole of our lives. It's never so terrible to love God. Indeed, it is the most wonderful thing we can do. And what we need to do and be thankful that we're able to do. Because he might have said no to us, but he has said yes. And he's taught us his word. He's given us the word of life. If we do not listen, we can look at history and we can see, as with Israel, as with his march through Europe, that when the gospel came, and the people set their hearts on it to do it. It was a time for doing good before the Lord and seeing the blessings of so doing. But he has a warning with it, as always. I will curse. I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, all those blessings you want to bring to me, if they're not true, I will send a curse upon it. I've already cursed them, he says because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, he says to the priests, because of you, the people go astray. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on their faces the awful, the intestinal stuff of animals from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And where did Israel go? What was it like in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? But a small remnant was really there. Again, they had, had set their hearts on bringing sacrifices to the Lord Pharisaically, they did more, it seemed, than the law required. Many times more, but all of it was for naught. You brood of vipers, you snakes, Jesus would say. And that is the result of so much religiosity. You are a brood of snakes, he will say to those today who bring other than the truth. Let us be warned let us be prepared, brothers and sisters. 
Let us stand against the falsehood of men set with Satan to destroy the church of all ages. Be faithful, you who bring the message. Be faithful, you who listen to it. Come together, work together. Pray together. Go forth in his service together. And be equipped with all that God has given in Christ Jesus. So that we may stand and not fall. Let us see the importance of our worship Sunday after Sunday. But also during the week. Know that what God gives us in giving us his word is for life. Be attentive, therefore, each and every one of you, as you're called to be priests, prophets, and kings in service to him. Know how to live. God shows you how. Because the alternative is the curse of God. And that means eternal condemnation. But in Jesus Christ, Yes, thanks be to him. We have life, eternal life. Amen. Let us sing Psalm 115, the fifth and sixth stanzas.